the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in to this Tuesday edition. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart, you need only to call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And if you are driving in your car, I remind you daily the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, phones have been kind of quiet the last week and a half or so. We'd love your calls and questions. It's Tuesday. Got nothing going on, so let me get right to questions. Here's the first one from Nikki, and I think uh, she spells it like a like a female Nikki. So I'm going to assume this is uh, a female. Nikki says, "My family is going to Israel, and I want to be baptized in the Jordan River." I've already been baptized. Is it okay to do it again? Yes, Nikki, it's okay to do it again. Um, it, not for the same reasons. Uh, this is meaningful to you, and uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to be baptized where Jesus was baptized? I mean, that's one of the things that we we imagine when we uh, go to Israel and we and we are in that situation. I will tell you this: from everything I've been told, I've not been there myself, but from everything I've been told, the water is very cold. At times, it's really dirty. So just. Take a towel with you and be ready, but enjoy. Yeah, just enjoy. And, and you know, when they get ready to put you back in the water, put you down in the water, just say, Jesus, I love you so much. And it'll be, it'll be a memorable time. Of course it's okay. And I hope you have a great time in Israel and um, uh, full of a lot of memories that you'll keep for the rest of your life. Good question, Nikki. Thank you very, very much. Mark says, Pastor Ron, I feel like we are sinning by not keeping the Jewish feast days. Where in the Bible are we told that we don't have to? Um, Mark, a couple of things here. and I I think this is really important. Hermeneutics, the the science of interpretation, uh, whether it's a Bible or other pieces of literature. Um, The first thing you've got to understand is the Jewish feast days were never given to us. Say to the people of Israel. It, it's that's not you, Mark, and that's not me. Uh, I again, I got a call yesterday about uh, about Jewish traditions, and um, you know, all we have to do is know our Bibles and be able to read them intelligently. And the the way you do that is very, very simply um, by saying um, by by noticing who's being addressed, the Ten Commandments. They're not given to you and to me. Now, the Ten Commandments, nine of them are repeated in the New Testament. 
So they're wonderful principles, and we can apply principles. But the Jewish feast days are Jewish. They're not for Gentiles. And um, so for you to feel like we're sinning by not keeping them uh, is, is really rooted in your lack of understanding of the Bible. Now, you ask, where in the Bible are we told we don't have to? Jesus made that declaration for us. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The Jewish feasts have nothing to do with the new covenant. And this was Jesus in the upper room with his disciples just before going to the cross to die for you and for me. So what we need to do, Mark, is study the Bible, interpret it, read it for what it says, but interpret it. And whenever you're going to look for context, you've got to say, okay, to whom is he speaking? What is the situation that's being addressed here? And that's the way that we understand it, and then we can make application for it. Mark, hope that makes sense to you. It's uh, be a lot better for you uh, just to sort of be freed from that yoke of bondage to um, Jewish traditions. Let's go to Bernie and talk with Jarrett on line one. Jarrett, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hey, thank you, Pastor Ron. Love your show. Mm-hmm. I just had a Thanks. question for you. Um, I've personally been in the pre-tribulation camp, and I and I, uh, but as of late, you know, I've I've read some scripture and talked to some other folks that I, I just I have some questions, and I just wanted to get your take. Um, you know, one one scripture or in particular in Revelation talks about the the martyrdom of the saints um, in the you know latter days, and you know the the. Uh, in the trip during the tribulation, and it says there's a multitude from all over that will be martyred. Um, if 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 that's the case, you know, are we still going to be here? Or I, you know, that's just it has me questioning my pre-tribulation, yeah. and I just wanted to get your <laughs> take on that particular uh, scripture. Thank you, Jared. I can do that, and and uh, I, I hope I'll be able to encourage you with uh, some other things, too, that that will, I hope, set at ease. In fact, I'm going to be, uh, I just finished um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 last Friday night, and I'm heading into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 uh, this coming Friday, and we're gonna, I'm going to make a differentiation between the, the rapture and the day of the Lord. Now, here's what you have to understand. The tribulation saints... Those are the people that are born again during the Great Tribulation, when the church is raptured out of here. And let me just say, pre-trib is the right, it's the only possible um, um, doctrine of the rapture that is consistent with the nature and the character of God. Uh, We're going to be raptured. The people left behind uh, are going to be plunged into the Great Tribulation, a time, uh, Jesus' own words, a time unequaled, uh, uh, from before and never to be equaled again. That's how terrible it's going to be. Uh, the problem, Jared, is that uh, a lot of those people are going to refuse to take the mark of the beast. They're going to pledge their allegiance to Jesus Christ and be born again. In fact, there's going to be the greatest revival by far in the history of our world. And so people are going to get saved left and right, but it's going to cost them their lives. So when you see them in Revelation chapter 5, you see them under the altar. Those are the people who are crying out for vengeance. They're, they're, they're tribulation saints, um, people that are saved. But remember, there's going to be a level of immaturity. They don't understand what we do. They haven't been able to be, be with Jesus for a long time, and they've been in, in impossible circumstances. And so they're going to cry out for retribution. How long, O oh Lord, till you avenge our death? And and they're told just a while longer. Uh, the work of God is going to continue. So those are tribulation saints um, um, who are martyred for their faith. They gave their life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, and God is going to honor them. And we're going to see them throughout the book of Revelation and um, um, they're, they're not going to, like, we're going to be in heaven in the presence of the Lord at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Uh, but they're, they're still going to be here. They're, they're, their bodies have not been translated yet uh, the way ours have been. So, Jared, that's the, the, the idea. Now, a couple of things. When you're reading 
uh, First Thessalonians and and uh, chapters four and five, and later in Second Thessalonians. When you're reading it, please notice the contrast that Paul uh, speaks of the the us and the them um, in in chapter five. Um, For we have not been appointed um, to persecute or or to judgment, but but for salvation. Uh, they have been appointed for judgment. And the, the, the us and the they is clear. The us are those of us who belong to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was doing in his letter to the Thessalonians. He was trying to comfort them because false teachers had sort of come in and decided that, uh, well, since people have already died and they missed the coming of the Lord, well, they just missed out. And Paul's trying to encourage them. And so that's what he does. Uh, and so um, we, we need to understand that in its context, very, very important. Now, here's something that I hope will settle it for you once and for all, Jared. Um, and, and you know, there, there's, I always say, well, well, you know, there's scriptures that suggest there's not a single scripture in the Bible that suggests that we will be objects of the wrath of God. The, the, the Great Tribulation from the Old Testament in the prophets, Daniel, um, and, and all the way through is called the time of Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress. It's a time when God turns his attention again to Israel um, to, to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham and to David. Um, and and uh, um, over and over and over, uh, that's that's called God's wrath, the wrath of the Lamb. Um, in Revelation chapter 6, the last two verses make it very clear that in the sealed judgments, that's when the, the, the judgments in the Great Tribulation begin, in the sealed judgments, it says, uh, the wrath of the Lamb is upon us. Uh, they knew it was the wrath of the Lamb, and they didn't care. They just shook their fist at God. So God is pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. Now, here's why it has to be a pre-tribulation rapture, Jared, because it would be contrary to the nature of God to pour out his wrath upon people whose sins have been satisfied. God has no wrath toward me, Jared. Uh, I'm covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so... If God could pour out his wrath on me again, well, that that would indicate that God is unjust, that he's unfair. That's why um, when Jesus showed up in Revelation, I'm sorry, Genesis 18 and 19, uh, he showed up to talk with Abraham and tell him that judgment is going to come on Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, when, when uh, because Abraham had family there, Lot and his family, uh, Abraham said to him, Far be it from the righteous judge of all the earth to judge the righteous with the wicked. And, and Jesus didn't correct him. Jesus didn't say, Well, I can judge whoever I want. He, he agreed, and that started that negotiation. Well, a 50-year found, a 4-year found, and all the way down. And so he couldn't do it. Not only that, but when the destroying angels went after Lot, uh, they literally snatched him in the Septuagint. The word is harpazo, and it's a snatching away. They took Lot by the wrist, and here's what they said. We can't do anything until you're gone. So they had an assignment to judge the people, but they couldn't judge them while righteous Lot was among them. Now, Lot doesn't appear to be righteous to us as we, as we uh, read his story in the Old Testament, but Peter says that Lot was a or Lot was was a righteous man who was vexed in his soul by all of the the the, the evil the wickedness around him. So uh, I cannot, we cannot do anything until you're out of here. Why? Because it's impossible for God to judge people whose sins have already been judged. And fortunately, Jarrett, for you and for me, um, we have. Um, our sins have been judged. Jesus took the punishment that a holy, righteous God requires for our sins. 
So, Jared, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, don't be swayed. You, you, you've always got that character of God, and every doctrinal error stems from somebody misunderstanding the character and nature of God. One final thought, Jared, if you want to go to our website, calvaryessay.com, you can go to the study in Revelation chapter 4, the very first one, and um, I give a pretty detailed um, teaching on the doctrine of the rapture. Uh, every time I go through Revelation, that's the, the very first study in Revelation chapter 4. And uh, I, I think that will give you all the information you need, the pictures of the rapture in the Old Testament, uh, and then the reasons why uh, a pre-tribulation rapture is the only one that is consistent with the Bible, consistent with the nature and the character of God. Thank you, Jared. Good question. Appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Anonymous says, "Can we pray for mercy for someone who died and was not a believer?" No, anonymous, you can't pray for mercy. I'm reading my personal reading now. Right now, at the the moment is in Jeremiah, and uh, you know, at one point, God says, "Jeremiah, don't pray for these people." Don't give these people any hope at all. Uh, it's appointed unto men once to die and then face the judgment. That's Hebrews 9.27. And so there is no mercy available once a decision has been made to reject Jesus Christ and we die in that state. So, uh, no, you can't pray for mercy. They had their opportunity. Uh, I'm sure with your heart, Anonymous, you've uh, shared Jesus with those people. And, um, you know, one of the problems that we Christians have is we're loving people. We want everybody to get to heaven. And especially when it's people that we know, people that we love, especially family members. Uh, And we have to come to grips with the fact that they are in torment forever and ever. And the only way we can do that, Anonymous, is to rest in the justice and the holiness and the righteousness, the fairness of God. I had somebody who was trying to convince me of universalism. You know, God is going to reconcile all things to himself and um, completely misunderstand uh, the context of that passage. Um, and they said, well, well, why why wouldn't you be happy if everybody went to heaven? If you went to heaven and you found it wrong and everybody was there, wouldn't that make you happy? And my answer was no. Because if there isn't a hell, if there isn't fairness, if there isn't justice then there's no heaven. It's just that simple. We don't have a just God. We don't have a Savior. And God must punish sin. He has to. And, um, um, you know, that fairness, we know that God um, chases people to the very final moments of their lives. And he does it because he loves them. And he loves the people that are praying for them. But if somehow we went to heaven and found out that Adolf Hitler was there, I mean, how happy would we be? Or a mass murderer, a child rapist. And you know, when I talk to people about that, they'll say, well, well, there, there's punishment for those. No, no, no. You're, you have to be logical and consistent with your thought process And you've got to come to grips with the fact that these evil, wicked, horrible people are going to be in heaven if you are right. Would I be happy if I got to heaven and found out that everybody was there? The answer is no. Because we wouldn't have a God at all. And it would mean that we're all lost. Jesus said in his conversation with Nicodemus Anonymous that we're born condemned Already, And Jesus offered his life so that those of us who are condemned would no longer be condemned. And that's what we need to hold on to. God is good. And I, I like to say it this way when I'm teaching this uh, at church here, Anonymous, I like to say, you know, to go to hell, we literally have to walk over Jesus' dead body. And I always add dead and risen body. He makes it as difficult as possible to go to hell, but he honors the choice that we make in life. He honors that choice in death. And we've got to be okay with that. God is fair. God is just. 
Michael says, Hebrews chapter 6 talks about believers who fell away. Did they lose their salvation? What does falling away look like? Um, Michael, Hebrews 6 is misunderstood. It's one of the, the chapters that um, the, the enemy uses to condemn people all the time. Um, if somebody who's tasted the, the, the Spirit, uh, they've walked into the light. If they fall away again, there's no way for them to be reconciled. Again, there's no hope. And we know that's not the case because we've got First John 1, 9 and the rest of the Bible, which says when we sin, we have an advocate, uh, the man Christ Jesus. Um, so, so Hebrews 6 is talking, uh, his book fill, filled with warnings. And this warning against falling away, he's warning, and this is what context matters so much, he's warning Jewish converts to Christianity who have been persecuted now for 20 to 30 years. At the beginning, Hebrews 10 says they accepted uh, the persecution, even the confiscation of the property. They did so with joyful and glad hearts. And, and the reason their hearts were joyful, not because they liked the persecution, but because they were sharing in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. But now time has passed. And they've been persecuted, and it just hasn't eased up. And, and suddenly the Jews and the Judaizers are there telling them that all they have to do is recant their faith in Christ, uh, become Jews again, um, and, and um, the persecution will stop. And Paul's warning them, where else are we going to go? We can't go to sacrifices. We, 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 the, 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 there's no operating temple. So what are we doing for the, the sins? Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. So he's not talking at all about um, uh, Christians who fall away. He's talking to believers who are in danger of being led away by false teachers. Now, did they lose their salvation? If you are really saved, Michael, you can't lose what God gave and what God guaranteed. You can't. But here's here's what Paul is saying. If if you're a Christian, if you're truly born again, if your hope is in heaven, then there's no way you can return to Judaism because you know that those sacrifices then have no value. So he's not talking about that. And in fact, in Hebrews, he says to them, um, but, but in your case, I have much better things in mind and heart. Things accompanying salvation. And so that's what he is doing uh, in that letter to the Hebrews. And there's, there's uh, I say six, some say seven, uh, individual warnings throughout the book. Now, you ask the, the final question, what does falling away look like? Uh, we see people falling away all the time. Um, whether they're believers, God won't be mocked. He knows those who are his. Uh, so we see people falling away. They they are following Jesus, or at least they give the appearance of following Jesus, and then sin creeps back into their lives, or they embrace sin. Sometimes in, uh, perhaps sin never really was given up uh, in the first place, uh, and they return to sin. A dog returns to his vomit, Paul writes. So here's here's what we have to understand. Falling away is just doing what comes normal to us in our flesh. That's all it is. And we see people falling away all the time. We've even created a name for it. We call it backsliding because we don't like to tell people you're in sin. We, 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 we ought to repent of that ourselves. Um, but when somebody's walking away from Jesus, they need to be confronted in love. We also see a falling away from the Word of God. And Michael, this is the one that breaks my heart. God has gone out of his way to give us everything that we need to know to live fruitful, God-honoring lives, and we don't pick up the Bible. You know, we can quote a few verses. Uh, some of us have bumper stickers on our cars with a verse on it. Uh, but the reality is we're not students rightly dividing the Word of God. And we find ourselves falling away. We question whether or not it's really God's word. Well, did God really say, which is Satan's first lie. And what we've got to do uh, is, is make a decision once forever that this either is God's word and we're going to take advantage of it or it's not. But it can't be in between. And most Christians are in that in-between thing. 
you know, will say, well, I believe in the Bible, but there are just some verses I don't think are for today. Well, that's that's unbelief. That's a falling away. That's the apostasy. I'll add one other thing, Michael. we got just about a little over one minute left in this half of the program. Um, we have Christians, professing Christians, who um, are trying to twist the Bible to be consistent with anything that makes them feel good. We see that with people, Christians, professing Christians, and they're not real Christians, but professing Christians, who say it's okay to be involved in a homosexual relationship or to be transgender. Uh, what what we see this great falling away, I believe it's already started in these last days. It's a falling away from the truth. And we're seeing the Bible being attacked like at no other time um, that I'm aware of. Uh, I mean, the Bible was trying to be rid of But uh, now it's just, did God really say? And these are a lot of Christians who are being duped. Thanks for the question, Michael. We'd love your calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our tuesday show 340-9585 here's a question from our email inbox from kimberly um pastor ron i went on a dinner date yesterday with a guy i met at church I was taken back uh, when he picked me up for the date that he had Eminem, M, I can't say this, Eminem playing in the car. I don't think we should listen to music that is not honoring to the Lord. It was about drugs and violence. I don't understand why anyone would want to only listen to Christian music. I'm going to read that again. I don't think I, I misunderstood. I don't understand why anyone wouldn't want to only listen to Christian music after being saved. Ephesians 5.19 says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart. He seems like a nice guy, but I sure wouldn't want my children to listen to that kind of music. What are your thoughts? Kimberly, I have so many thoughts, and, I'm, and, and, and the, the quickest answer is going to be the one to your, to your question. Um, uh, first, regarding secular music, I had a question yesterday. Um, the same um, from a, a man um, who basically is saying the same thing, that, that a Christian, how could somebody who's saved listen to secular music? I said yesterday, I'll say it again. Music is a gift from God, and there are people that make wonderful music, and God has given them wonderful gifts, uh, everything from classical music to, um, um, and I'm not a big music guy, uh, but but you know I, I grew I, we we all love the kind of music we grew up with. I love uh, the Beach Boys. I love the Righteous Brothers. I love um, the Carpenters. I love uh, the Kinks and the Beatles. I said yesterday. I, I just that that was music that defined uh, my my childhood into adulthood. And you know what? I love the fact that God has given unbelievers wonderful gifts. I also love the fact that God has granted that same kind of skill to people who belong to him, and that's turned into Christian music. So, um, yeah, I, 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 Christian music is great, uh, but, but don't demonize secular music and don't judge anybody who is a believer who listens to secular music. Uh, Mozart, Beethoven, that's secular music. Handel, um, that's that's classical music, but it's not secular. So, so um, you know, what's the difference? Some one knew Jesus, the other didn't. Um, but please, 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 don't be legalistic when it comes to music. Now, I'm going to give you the however here. 
there is no circumstance where a Christian man or woman should listen to music about drugs, about violence, um, music that takes God's name in vain, uh, music that glorifies uh, sex outside of marriage. So for sure, absolutely for sure, um, that's the kind of music where you say you draw the line because not only is it secular music, but it's it's secular music that, that stands in opposition to God. And you know, I, you, you just can't buy the, well, you know, it's just I like the bead. It's not the words. It is the words. It's everything, and it's evil, and it's wicked, and it's dark. What do darkness and light have in common? But I can promise you, Kimberly, if you would listen to the Righteous Brothers, if you would listen to the Carpenters, if you would listen to a lot of the Motown music I grew up with or the Beach Boys, um, you, you, you wouldn't find darkness in that music at all. And some of the people are saved. I know Christians who are entertainers who do secular things. And and they should, and they should, but to, but 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 certainly Eminem is not one that any of us should be listening to, and um, um, I think that's important. Now, here's what I really want to say, Kimberly. This is why I tell both men and women, but typically women, uh, they're the ones asking. Uh, when you find somebody at church, and he picks you up, and he's got this kind of music on the radio or in his playing in his car. I, I, I don't even know how people listen to music anymore. I, I turn on the radio. But um, you, you learned a lot in just a few minutes about this guy's walk with Jesus. And I tell the, the, the ladies here especially all the time, don't be so eager to go out with somebody that you don't watch their life first. Somebody comes to you and says, I'd love to take you out on a dinner date. Would you go? I just say, well, you know what? Why don't we just kind of chill for now and um, maybe maybe at a time in the future? But then you can watch him and you can see the commitment that he has. You can really see who Jesus is to him. In this particular case, when you got in the car yesterday, I realized the first date is a tough place. But remember, it's always easier to end something before it really gets going. Uh, the first thing I would have said is to, to this man, I would have said, you know, I met you at church and I was sure you were a Christian, but but this music is disrespectful to me, but more importantly, it's disrespectful to God. And I would ask the question, why would you be listening to this kind of music as a Christian? What a great opportunity that would be to evangelize him. But I, I think personally, before a woman says yes to a dinner date, she ought to have spent some time watching that man's walk with the Lord. I'm one of those guys who thinks church is the best place to find a prospective spouse. For this very reason, you can watch somebody. You can see whether they're really believers or it's just professing Christians. And um, I would say to him, you're a nice guy. But the music you had going on in your car was disrespectful to me and most importantly to God. And I don't know how you can listen to that kind of music and call yourself a Christian. And then you could have ended the evening right then and there. You could have said, thank you very much, but I don't want to have dinner with somebody who's disrespected me and disrespected my Jesus. What an opportunity. Now, here's the problem, Kimberly, and I'm going to take this away from you. This isn't personal, but two calls in two days. It's easier for us just to not say anything and then judge people instead of actually trying to show them a better way. And these are times when we are challenged by the Holy Spirit to share our living faith with people. But it'd be that simple. Uh, At the very least, when you heard that music on in the car, you should have said, uh, um, I don't want to be in this car with that kind of music going on. So either turn it off or maybe you let me out right now. So I, I hope that makes sense to you, Kimberly. But remember, 
we cannot be those people who say you can't listen to secular music. You only have to listen to Christian music. Uh, we've had a lot of events here uh, at our church over the years. And we've had um, some really well-known, famous Christian artists here. And um, I have been deeply, deeply disappointed in the character of those people. In all but one case, and I say that categorically, we had we had one uh, group of people, uh, the Gutierrez brothers. They they came in. They were they were just so godly and so nice and so willing to serve. I mean, they just didn't want anything special at all. They they were the ones who were really blessed, and of course they blessed us. But in every other situation, the artists. We're not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. They were not people that I would want to expose others to. Um, so, you know, it's not just the, the music and the lyrics. It's the people who are singing them. And I've had people here, again, famous people, who are as far away from the Lord as Eminem is, so... Hope that helps, Kimberly, a little bit. Legalism never, ever works. Here is a question from Craig. I know the law couldn't save, so how did Jews get saved in the Old Testament? Um, Craig, they got saved just like we do, only with less information. Uh, They're saved by grace through faith. Um, When God spoke... And they believed what God said. Um, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Rahab, you remember in in uh, um, Jericho, uh, she believed the reports of God. She believed what the, 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 the spies were saying about God. And she was saved by faith. Again, it was a different kind of spiritual transaction than we have. They they didn't have the, the, the opportunity to say, Jesus, come into our heart. Jesus, I give you control of my life. Um, but they were looking forward to the promises of God. Craig, the way I, I understand it best, especially as a new Christian, I had the same question. Um, those who were born before the cross looked forward to the cross to get saved. Those of us, and it's easier for us, who are born after the cross, we look backwards at the accomplished act of the cross, the the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we all get saved the same way by looking to the cross, the empty tomb, uh, and the, the gift of God to die for our sins. So they were saved by faith. They believed God, and it was credited to them as righteousness. Cynthia says, um, I have ongoing fears that I can't seem to overcome. What am I doing wrong? Cynthia, this is an impossible question to answer on the radio because I don't have any details. But here's what I can tell you generally speaking. Um, when you can't overcome fears, um, the question or the problem is unbelief. We can say, I believe in Jesus, and no doubt you do. But how can you believe in Jesus if you don't believe in the promises he made? Um, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Um, We've not been given the spirit of of fear, um, but of power and of sound mind. Jesus over and over says, don't worry, be anxious for nothing. So, uh, again, I don't know what your fears are, but unbelief is always the reason that you don't overcome them. Now, one of the things that we've got to be honest about is is, is we've got to be able to go to the Lord and say, Jesus, I know you love me. I know you died for my sins, but I don't believe that you're going to overcome this fear that I have. And then you can say, Lord, I, I repent of that. And then like Jesus' followers, Lord, increase our faith, they said. But this is a matter of faith. Now, it's not just faith in faith. It's not a a feeling that suddenly goes away. I'm afraid, Cynthia, all the time. So you and I, we have that in common. I'm afraid all the time. 
You know, I have a, a devil that keeps pounding at me and saying, you know, one wrong decision and you're going to ruin the church and you're going to ruin all the people that come there and then their sh- their faith is, is going to be shipwrecked. Well, I, I recognize those are lies from the enemy. And while I am afraid all the time, fear doesn't just go away, but how we respond to that fear is what makes us believers. And so when you're afraid of something, you simply can say, Jesus, I'm afraid of this. He knows it anyway. So be honest. Lord, I'm afraid of this, but I'm going to do what you've asked me to do anyway. Paul used to tell the ladies here all the time, you may be scared, but do it scared. And we just have to be obedient. And when you do that, God will show off for you so often that at some point you're going to realize that, you know what, God is so much stronger than the things you're afraid of, and, and you won't be bugged anymore when Jesus said, don't be anxious for anything. And, and you know, that bugs us because we're anxious for a lot of things, but we've got to surrender those things to Jesus Christ. So, Cynthia, um, that's the general answer. It's unbelief. You don't really believe in the promises of God. I've challenged over oh, about this last year and a half, especially. Now, I've done this for 27 years, but but especially over this last year and a half, uh, this started in the in the, the COVID times. Um, uh, I would challenge the people here at Calvary Chapel to to uh, to camp in Romans chapter eight and just highlight the promises. Get a legal pad or put them on your computer or something. Um, just just write down. Um, Romans 8, one. there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Go all the way through Romans and just write those prayers down and then honestly look at what you've written and say, Lord, do I really believe that? I mean, if there's no condemnation, but I'm feeling condemned, then obviously I don't believe it. Uh, if we're more than conquer through him who loved us. Um, if I'm not living a, 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 an overcomer life, then I don't really believe that. Uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? I have to believe that. And and I think, Cynthia, the thing to do is to just, the promises just in that chapter alone are so rich and so powerful that all you need to do is say, Lord, I, I don't really believe that. I mean, intellectually, I know it's true, but I don't believe it because I'm not living my life that way. The antidote for fear is faith. And right now, unbelief is your issue. Now, there's obviously things that we're afraid of. It's more complicated than just that. But without knowing specifically, uh, that's the best I can do, Cynthia. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Jadon. Um, can we claim the promises God made in the Old Testament in our lives? Um, Jaden, no. Here's one of these things. I was talking about this at the top of the program. The promises God makes to Israel are promises exclusive to Israel. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to uh, prosper you, not to harm you, uh, plans to give you hope in the future. Um, That's not a promise to us. Now, we can apply the principle to that. Um, We've got Romans 8.28. We know that God works all things together for good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. So, So there's a principle that we can claim, but we can't claim the promise. If my people, you see this every year, at National Day of Prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Israel was being invaded. And God wanted to deliver them. He wanted to, to deliver them from Babylon, from from the Medes and the Persians, from Greece, and, and later from Rome. That's why Jesus was so sad when he wept over Jerusalem. God made them promises and we have to read those promises with that kind of specificity. The principles. If my people will call by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Well, I know that if I will humble myself and pray, then the Lord is going to answer my prayers. But it's not the same prayer, nor the same answer, 
that Israel would have gotten had they been obedient. And so that's why we need to read the Bible in its proper context. That's why we need to know uh, to whom the word is speaking. And, you know, I, I just don't think we do. We, we look at the Old Testament and we sort of um, study it and interpret it like we would study and interpret the New Testament. You can't do that. And so um, those promises, Jaden, uh, are not promises that we can take um, just carte blanche. Again, the principles always work, and that's one of the reasons the Old Testament has such great value for us. But we can't do the, um, we can't just assume that God is talking to us because Israel was his people, now we're his people, so those promises are us. Can't do that at all. That's to misunderstand the Bible. Nick says, I read the Bible a lot. Good for you. But then he says, but I still struggle. What am I doing wrong to? What am I doing wrong questions in a row? Well, well, you know, Nick, the, the Bible only has value if you do what you read. That's why James says, be not hearers of the word only, but be ye doers of the word. And reading the Bible, it's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But the, the reality is, if you're not going to do what it says, then you're just making God's discipline of you is going to be, be harsher. Um, knowing what the Bible says is not enough. we got to do what it says. we got to be obedient. That's where the power comes. Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit, and the context there is in power, to those who obey him. So you can read the Bible a lot, but if you're not going to do what it says, then you're, you're going to be in a situation where you're going to be even more accountable to the Lord, and the conviction uh, is going to get stronger and stronger, and the door for condemnation from the enemy is also going to get stronger. So here's the question, are you doing it? I was talking with one of the other pastors here today on staff, about counseling and how things have changed over the years. I used to spend hours with people. When I was a brand-new pastor, I just, okay, I'm going to keep talking until they get saved. It doesn't work. And so now when somebody wants to, to, to come to counseling, um, my first question is, okay, are you going to do what the Bible says to do? And I always tell them, whatever the problem is, things will get better quickly if you get if you are obedient, but if you're not obedient, things are going to get worse even more quickly. And there's no point in talking to somebody who's not going to do what the Word says. And typically people say, well, yes, I'm going to do what it says, but then when I'll say something, well, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. We've got somebody who's hard to broken because they're in an unequally yoked relationship. You've got to get rid of the relationship, but I love him or I love her. Well, then your problems are going to continue. They're going to get worse have nothing to do with a professing Christian who's living a lifestyle of sin. And we don't want to cut people out of our lives because we like them or we love them. But the Bible says to do it. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loved the church. Are you going to do that? Are you going to put her needs ahead of your own? Because that's what he says, giving himself up for her. That's the way Jesus loved the church. Are you going to do that? Well, you don't understand because she does this or she... No, no, no. Are you going to put her needs ahead of your own? Or are you going to continue to be selfish? Are you going to be kind? Are you going to be gentle? Are you going to be patient? If you're not, then the problems are going to get worse and worse and worse. So, Nick, that's your problem. And I don't even know you, and I can tell you that's the problem. You've got to decide, are you going to do what the Bible says to do? No ifs, ands, or buts. No rationalizations. Are you going to do what it says to do? And if you have the faith to believe that the Bible is true, then you also need to have the faith to do what it says so that God can prove himself to you. So, again, reading the Bible, you'll never hear out of this mouth that reading the Bible is a bad thing. But if you're not doing what it says, then reading the Bible is just going to make you more accountable. So read it, take it to heart, and do it 
Swallow your pride, repent when necessary, and what will happen, Nick, is that you'll start to see your life change. Hope that helps. Last question today is from Brett. He says, do the people in Hades get a second chance to be saved? Um, Nick, the answer is no. Um, There is no place called Hades, by the way. Uh, There's no purgatory. There's no holding place. Um, When somebody is in the place of torment, and remember in Luke 16, there's two sides to, to the abyss. One, a place of torment. The other, we called paradise or Abraham's bosom. Um, Abraham's bosom or paradise is empty now. Um, the place of torment in the abyss, center of the earth, the abuso in Greek, um, it's still full and people are still being tormented. It will be full until the end of the great, or the end of the millennial reign of Christ on earth. And at that point, um, the lake of fire will be created and that will be the ultimate um, eternal destination for those who have rejected Jesus Christ. But there's no second chances. Again, Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto man once to die and then face the judgment. So there is no second chance. That frustrates people because we think, well, well, God, if you're a God of love, why don't you give us a second chance? Everybody, everybody knows about Jesus. Everybody has had plenty of opportunities to believe and receive. And they didn't. They sealed their own fate. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.